everybody. Welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm joined today for a special bonus episode, not by Ryan Donnelly, who has been, um, I, I mean, executed. I don't want to. I don't want to really dance around it here. Ryan's been executed, uh, and so this week I'm joined for a bonus episode by Luke Swanson of the UConn blog, that is at the UConn blog um, on Twitter. Luke, how's it going? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, unlike Ryan. I'm still alive, mm-hmm. even though the the many the the many haters and losers tried to cancel me on my flight. Yes, they home did. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> they did. Yes, and they they always say the greatest availability for a podcast is being alive, and and you are you are alive. This is at Luke from 2011 on Twitter as well. I feel I should I should probably mention that. And we've got Luke on because um. I, I don't know if I want to say unfortunately for your sake. I guess it's pretty unfortunate for for your sake. You know a lot about UConn football. Um, and UConn football is, as they say, having a moment of sorts. I am, I'm cursed with knowledge. That is correct. <laughs> I've, I've eaten the, the forbidden fruit. You, you certainly have. Um, UConn just hired a head coach. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why it has done that. Um, for whom it has it has decided to to uh, ap- apply this job to, I would say. I don't know if you hire someone for this job as much as you you push it upon someone. Uh, but before we get to it, I want to start with a little bit of context here because I think that this job is interesting. I think this program is interesting. I think it's worth diving into what was going on here at UConn before it made the decision that it made a couple weeks ago. So I, I want to start first. Um, with just a little bit of background, first up, UConn is about a month removed from the firing of former head coach Randy Edsel. Edsel was in his second tenure at, at UConn. Um, and I, I want to ask you, why was he brought back in? Why did his second tenure go so poorly with, with UConn? Well, UConn football, uh, the important thing to understand is after... Uh, the whole realignment kind of nightmare for UConn ended in 2013, 20, 20, early uh, 2010s. Uh, all of the hires just got progressively worse and worse. And it was, well, I don't think that's accurate. I think it's accurate to say that they got bad and they got slightly less bad. And then they got even worse than any of us could have imagined. Yeah. So it's kind of been a boomerang effect, right? So they fire Randy Edsel, or that uh, Randy Edsel leaves, excuse me, uh, after taking them to the fateful Fiesta Bowl mm-hmm. in 2011, and they go ahead and hire basically his opposite. Now, for years and years, you uh, got uh, Connecticut head. Connecticut high school coaches complained that Edsel did not pay enough attention to them. So they go out and they hire Mr. Connecticut, Paul Pascaloni. Now, it turns out, just because uh, high school coaches like you, which it turned out they actually didn't like him, doesn't mean that you're actually a good football coach. Yeah. So he just basically took the most talented roster probably in UConn history uh, and completely destroyed it. Mm-hmm. Just uh, horrendous transfers, uh, horrendous coordinator hires, schemes, all of that. Yeah. Just completely terrible 
terrible head coach. So they go ahead and they hire kind of his opposite. They hire a young up and coming coach uh, by the name of Bob Diaco more. And this is kind of a theme with UConn football definitely achieved meme status on uh, college football, Twitter. Certainly. And for uh, <laughs> undoubtedly achieved meme status and could that kind of overshadowed the fact that he was an all right coach. Like he made some all right decisions sometimes like maybe 50% of the time, Yeah, but he didn't win enough and maybe relied a little too heavily on transfers and wasn't that good of a recruiter and somehow left the talent level there even further down than he, than he inherited from Pasquale, which was very bad. Again, this kind of depends on who you believe. Mm -hmm. And I'll get to that part in a little while because we're going to end up talking about Patrick's favorite ESPN personality, (laughs) Tanner Olofsky. Yeah, that's right. Couldn't get enough of him. (laughs) So Diaco leaves uh, after making a bowl game, which ends up being the best, uh, easily the best season since uh, Randy Edsel, number one left. Then uh, in hiring Edsel the second time, the logic behind that is kind of another boomerang effect. They wanted to right the ship. They wanted a little stability and they wanted to kind of just hire someone that everyone knew because that's kind of what you want to do when the, I guess, in theory, when your support is flagging amongst alumni is you want to hire someone that everyone loves and everyone has fond memories of. And that's, that was kind of the logic hiring him the second time around. Let me give me one second here. Sure. Um, this is something that we've seen a lot recently in college football. And I think UConn funny enough, kind of started the trend. I, I, if, if memory serves, there were guys who were hired back at their old school before, but Brady Hoke is doing this now at San Diego State. I think Gary Anderson did it at Utah State. Um, it's a it's a weird trend, and it, it does feel like it kind of started with UConn and with Edsel. Yeah, and the, there's really been only one place where it's even remotely worked out, and I don't even want to call it working out, and I don't even like saying this university's name, mm-hmm. uh, Rucker. Okay, yeah, sure. That famous university that we know, Ed Chiano, he has not brought Rutgers back to that one fluke season that he had, mm-hmm. but he's won games at Rutgers. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Given Rutgers. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and uh, if you made me bet on any of these retread hires, like not even just like metaphorical retread hires, but literal physical retread hires, hiring them again. Yeah. If you, Asked me if any of that one of them would have worked out, I would not have guessed him. Yeah, but that's uh, that's a little aside. Uh, and why it hasn't worked out under Edsel, I could probably go for forty-five minutes. Sure. On this alone, but let me read you a quote. Okay. That he said uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, it it was twenty ten. Okay. He was asked about the transfer portal. Because uh, one or two years ago, that was a, that was a bigger thing, mm-hmm. and just coming onto the scene. And uh, when he was asked if he would take anyone in the transfer portal, he said, "I would rather go with high school kids or junior college guys. Guys going into the portal to me, they've got issues. They've got issues. That's why they're going into the portal. I think if you can get people that come in from junior colleges, those guys have a little more edge to them because they want to play right now. 
Sometimes these guys from the portal think that they're enabled and entitled to something. You know, maybe it didn't work out because he didn't stay there and finish. Hmm. And I think you can see by that quote <laughs> oh. why Randy Edsel was unable to succeed in the second time around. Uh-huh. I, uh, man, trying to build out a full 25-man recruiting class every single year at current UConn is, that's a tall task, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> that is a tall task. And I, I think that's just kind of emblematic of why he didn't work out the, sec- the second time because – Basically, the world of college football recruiting passed him by. Sure. Maybe more severely than I've ever seen it pass anyone by. He was very clearly uninterested in. Uh, I don't want to. I don't know if I want to be so harsh here, but really, just relating to these kids. Okay. That uh, he was recruiting. He left the recruiting to his staff, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just not a, not a very good situation in terms of uh, acquiring talent relating to uh, the, the kids on his roster. He spent more time disparaging them for uh, having phones. Okay. That was another fun quote. Okay. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but uh, he, he said, so I'd, Gino Oriema mm-hmm. obviously has a little more a uh, little more leeway with these decisions. It doesn't make it make it the right thing to do, but he does take he does uh, have the uh, women's team leave their phones, I think, somewhere uh, before they go in the locker room. It's, it's some sort of uh, restriction on that. Uh, there's also social media restrictions, etc. Sure. He has a little more leeway to do that. I guess it doesn't make it right to do, but uh, uh, Randy was. Like one time, uh, if I decided to take away my my uh, players' phones like uh, Gino does, I'd be crucified or something like that. Okay. And then in the same press conference, he went on to blame uh, his phones, uh, his kids' phones, social media, and Fortnite for them just not being interested in in going uh, one in eleven football, I guess. In yeah, yeah, <laughs> more or less. So Jesus. I didn't even know about that one. Example, man. Oh yeah, that's. It it kind of uh kind of makes makes a little bit more sense when uh in in October or whatever it was when he announced that he wanted to retire and then the next day was fired it it makes a little bit more sense what was going on in that locker room. Yeah, and then uh, since this is UConn, we're we're uh we're a little too far down to get that uh, just recently fired new coach bump. Sure. Uh, the team didn't win a few games on the bounce, but they did put in some decent performances on the bounce after uh edsel was fired yeah so it's it's pretty clear by that and then some uh some former players on social media uh with voicing their discomfort or not their discomfort their their, uh, pleasure with his being fired Mm -hmm. that uh really illustrated that he's not a player's coach yeah at all yeah and with how uh, all the stories about how recruiting is nowadays and the realities of that situation, like how uh, these power five assistant coaches, they're talking about how they really wish that they could just turn off their phone for like half an hour to have dinner with their wife mm-hmm. because their phones won't stop blowing up because they're getting texts from 30 to 40 kids a day. Yeah. That if someone like Edsel 
who uh, says, quotes like, you're supposed to be a full-time student and a full-time athlete, and that is all. Stop being on your phone all the time. Stop playing Fortnite. Go to bed at a reasonable time. When going on to mention, he would be hung if he tried to take away his players' phones. And uh, more, uh, more talk about how his players uh, had random punishments sure. in that press conference, I believe. Yeah. So a guy like that would probably struggle. Yeah, I would say. I I would say so, and it, it seems like this all kind of. If you put Randy Edsel at, at Alabama under his current state, he would have failed. But it was especially not not generous for for him at, at UConn, which is not a place where I think you can act like that and and you know be like that on the recruiting trail, be like that in general. And that that, that sort of dovetails into the the next point that I want to make and the next thing that I want to ask you about, which is. Edsel did have some success, as you alluded to, during his first tenure. They went to the they went to the Fiesta Bowl, but this is not not that job anymore. It's not even the same job as it was when he took over the second time. Um, there's no league affiliation here anymore. This is an independent football program, one of only a few in in FBS college football. What does that what has that done, and what does that do to the the program and to the quality of the job, because I, I don't know if a lot of people really realize what independence means for a football program. Well, this sort of ends up being a double-edged sword. And I know we, we've uh, talked off air about this as well, Yeah. but I, UConn is right now, I would say doing a pretty fantastic job of scheduling big names. Yeah. And just for a school that I don't want to say views this football program as exorate, because I don't think it does exactly, but it's UConn uh, through its basketball programs as a national brand. And part of what they want to do as a university is keep that kind of or snowballed out a little bit with their football program, have them be on the map just there kind of, yeah. at least until they can actually get good is uh, just basically have them play on national television. Like they, they do have a national television deal mm-hmm. through 2023, I believe, about to get a thousand angry posts on the boneyard about that. But um, <laughs> they just kind of want to get the. I guess what I'm hitting on here is UConn football is a mar- is a marketing play. Okay. But the situation of them as an independent is it's one thing to schedule all these Power Five games, and have four or five of them on the schedule each year, for a couple of years. It's another thing to start winning them, and I think that's where. Uh, and something you brought to me is that these uh, UConn's potential hires as as a coach will see these games in the schedule and they won't see very many wins. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to develop a football program if you're going out. And right now, UConn can't even beat. I'm looking at the 2023 20, schedule. They pro- they can't even beat a Georgia State. They can't even beat a, a FIU. Yeah. And who's to say they won't get to that level in a couple of years' time? But to develop players. Yeah, especially these are freshmen and sophomores you're throwing out there, maybe not uh, physically adapted to life at FBS, especially against Power 5 teams. You're not going to get very many wins, and it's going to be very hard for them to get good experience when uh, they're going up against backups in the third quarter. Yeah. So that's where life as an independent is kind of kind of goes it kind of gets a little sketchy, but in terms of scheduling games against uh, teams that the fan base knows, 
uh, regional teams kind of creating that that sort of area of the schedule. Uh, playing Army once a year, I think that's a really good series to have. Mm-hmm. And not many schools could boast that in the Northeast. And um, yeah, just playing regional schools like that, that the that the alumni can get uh, hyped up for, I think that is the positive side for UConn and Independence. And it ma- that makes them a little more well-situated situated than, say, a New Mexico State or even a UMass would be. Sure. But the downside is uh, what we went over with just the struggle to get any consistency and kind of build a program when the schedules are like this. Yeah, and it's it's sort of counter to what the, the theory is usually when you are a, a program that's trying to kind of rise back up from the ashes and a program that is struggling to build any kind of consistency is that usually... I mean, you see, like, obviously, it's a, it's a wildly different example, but you see how in the early part of his tenure at Kentucky, you know, Mark Stoops scheduled non-conference. They He scheduled wins. He went out and he scheduled wins. And that's when you're at a program that's trying to just get something going, it's generally thought that you schedule wins in in it, it feels like UConn is understandably because I think that the, the football program wants and needs money. Like you said, it's kind of a marketing thing at this point. And being on national television, playing against against Clemson, playing against teams like that, it makes money. It brings money in. But it, it mm-hmm. seems it, it's interesting. This hire, the hire we're talking about, of course, for those of you who have somehow not, not seen this already, is Jim Mora Jr., the former UCLA coach, uh, among other places. This hire, to me, kind of feels like the coaching version of scheduling a bunch of really good teams every year because you're independent and you need the money. Jim Mora feels like scheduling Clemson. You know, it's like, well, we're not going to win, but people will see us. And that that it's a really weird way to build a program. And I understand the thinking, but I'm I'm so curious about what this is actually going to yield because at some point you do have to win games and recruit players and develop players and it, it seems like it, it seems like the goal of hiring Jim Moore and I'm curious what you think about this is not to do that well I, I think you're you're hitting on something really interesting there that it is kind of the equivalent of scheduling of, of how they've done their independent scheduling and that they, they want to sell to the fan base that they're serious about football Right. So they go out and get a guy who's coached at the power five level, who's had a fair amount of success at the power five level, former NFL coach. Someone that I'd even say a lot of UConn fans who don't pay a lot of attention to football would know the name of. Mm -hmm. So it definitely seems like that kind of hire. And as opposed and to your point about in terms of winning football games, what does this do? I think the vast majority of the, the vast majority of the fan base, the overwhelming attitude is, <laughs> and this seems it's very dire. Can't go down from here, yeah. you know. And it really just does run counterintuitive to how uh, the most, the huge majority of uh, F, of FBS schools around the, com- the around the country act, yeah. right? Yeah, but. Just UConn's at such a such a low spot right now that they they kind of want to bring this guy in and 
I just have him kind of right the ship, have him be competent in a way that Edsel was not, uh, Diaco was not as much in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And just kind of a guy who can get UConn back to that baseline of, it sounds sad to even think about, but three, four wins a year. Yeah. Is this, so th- that being the, the thinking, I, I think a lot of people, college football people, you know, national people, whatever it might be, people who are not close to UConn saw this and the thought, and I have this written down directly is, is this just what they could get? Is this, was this the best thing that was available here for, for UConn or was there, was there a path where you go out and you get a, you know, a young play caller, you get somebody from the FCS level, or was Jim Mora just the only guy that would take the job? Well, I don't know if you did, did you uh, read about how uh, our athletic director Dave Benedict went out and ended up uh, quote unquote interviewing. I did not. Him? I did not. So this uh, this first part I only recently learned about today through uh, a serious XM interview that went up today. But apparently they were both in Europe at the same time mm-hmm. a month ago. Great. And again, this is very relatable story. All of us. Who among us has not been here at yeah. one point? Yeah, they were both in Europe. I think it might have been Italy or Paris, and uh, that's when they first kind of made contact this uh, autumn. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, when Mora first learned about the job opening, because apparently he was backpacking throughout Europe, etc. <laughs> sure. And <laughs> again, try stick with me here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Benedict is uh, then has Mora on his radar as well, and he's very intrigued. So Mora now, currently, he lives in Idaho, mountains of Idaho. Mm-hmm. So Mora's like, yeah, co- come over here and uh, come to my house in Idaho, and we'll go uh, fly fishing and uh, just uh, sit by the campfire, I assume, yeah. toasting marshmallows, mm-hmm. and we'll figure it out. So Mora invited Benedict over and Benedict went over for like two or four weeks. I think it was two weeks to his uh, cabin in Idaho. Okay. And that's uh, when they completed the interview process. This I'm not, <laughs> this is not a bit. <laughs> oh my God. Benedict went to Jim Moore's cabin in rural Idaho and went fly fishing with him for two weeks <laughs> and conduct the interview process. Jim Mora invited Benedict in for a cask of Amontillado and he emerged with the Yukon job. <laughs> Good God. Oh. The- Slowly walling Benedict up brick by brick, <laughs> replacing with Benedict clone. The- this is this is insane. That's an insane way to hire a coach. <laughs> Again, this very relatable scenario that all of us in everyday life have gone through. Who among us has not gone to the- our employees, our, our future prospective employees, <laughs> cabin in the Rocky Mountains, and ask them to come work for us. Oh my God! Do you remember this is this is only tangentially related, but do you remember the the news cycle during the twenty twenty Democratic primaries where people were talking about how everyone has a wine cellar and you should find a new slant? This is that. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's, it's, I feel like we get an article like that every month still. Yeah, it's it's, it's every no, month. It's normal to meet your future head coach bike back backpacking in in Italy. It's normal to go to his cabin in Idaho for two weeks. It's regular. There's nothing wrong with that. Everyone nope, does it. nothing. <laughs> Everyone does it. It's happening more and more. <laughs> It's the new. It's the new thing. I hadn't. I didn't even know that. I when we when this first broke, I was DMing with you, and I I described it as a uh, at least to me a country club hire for a country club athletic director, uh, trying to appease two country two country club boosters. It is literally. It seems like that. It is literally that. They actually <laughs> admitted that it's just that. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe they said it. When you put it, it that way, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he just came out and said it. I worked. I worked on this story for <laughs> six months, and you just tweeted it out. <laughs> you just said it. You just said, "Yeah, we did this because we thought the boosters would like it." Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> I like to hang out with this guy. He has good wine. <laughs> this is this is an insane way to run an FBS program. Oh my god, <laughs> it's. I had not realized that that was the case. That's that's crazy. <sighs> I'm not doing too much for uh, Connecticut's countrywide <laughs> reputation here. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> so I, I have I have a question here about who this is designed to ap- appeal to, but I think we've answered it. I think that it appeals yeah, to it's, the. It appeals to the people. Yeah, I, I think it appeals who... to people who own cabins in Idaho. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is a country club hire. This, oh my god! This so. Is there any situation where this works, like at all in any way? Is there? Can this work? Can Jim Mora Jr. be the guy who does establish that baseline? Because, from the sounds of it, he's just going to hire Noel Mazzoni again, and I don't know. I don't know to what end. Uh, this is another thing that we talked about. It, the 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 old news. The, the the small tiny brain way of doing things is to hire a coach and then have him bring all of his cronies in sure. to work at the offensive and defensive coordinator positions and uh, all that a jazz. The new way, the large giant galaxy brain way, is to have your off your offensive and coordinate and uh, defensive coordinators go out and hire their old boss. Okay. That's what that's what we're doing now. <laughs> sure. Anyways, the, <laughs> what, I wrote this down in my notes. Mm-hmm. Define works. What, what are we? Dis- we need to define success at UConn. Okay, so it seems like because the, the goal here, yeah. like you said, is is what like getting it back to three or four wins, right? Yeah. Well, like our our favorite podcasters at. Uh, future, uh, former SB Nation podcast. I've put it this way: sure. uh, Year Zero. I think I don't remember exactly who coined that, mm-hmm. but I think UConn is before year negative one. They're like year negative five. Okay. So to get them back to year zero, to get them back to two to four wins, I making a bowl game would be. Absolutely out of this world. I don't know if that's feasible okay. with uh, more as your head coach, but I think the goal has to be just drag them out of the basement. Be competent. Sure. Don't make any bonehead mistakes. Don't talk about your uh, players' Fortnite habits and 
actually recruit all the best available players from all the all the available outlets. And do I think Jim Moore can do that? Cross the very low bar? Eh, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I mean, he is a football coach. He knows how to coach football. He's done it in the not-too-distant past. Yeah. He might get some of the, the, the Herm effect in Arizona State, where he just seems like a like a decently chill guy mm-hmm. and recruits like him for some reason. Man, I, I love the idea of like a uh, a a puff piece from the Athletic for Jim Mora Jr. at UConn. That sounds great to me because like Herm got one, Jed Fish got one. How do we get one for 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 Jim Mora? To send, uh, Pete or is it Pete or Stu? It's probably we need to send. We need to send Stu. Yeah, we need to send Stu out to his cabin in Idaho. <laughs> Invite him down to the cellar. <laughs> yeah. And then force feed him we close. Need to, <laughs> we, need to, yeah, we need to get him a nice glass of wine. Get some bricks. Uh, <laughs> just talk to him about uh, talk to him about UConn football. Yeah, yeah. Slowly and uh, slowly wall him up. And uh, right before we put the last brick in, he, he hits send. Yeah, right before you put the last brick in, you finish typing up the press release that you're going to feed to him and you put it in the little slot and then he posts that yep. directly. And that's the end of the uh, of the process. He copies and pastes it into the article. <laughs> he just screenshots it. Screenshots <laughs> the text from the SID, puts it straight up. Um that's how that's how we sell you kind of football. <laughs> that's right. We're just under gonna, Jim Moore. That's right. We're just going to uh we're 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 going SID mode. That's our that's our plan here. Um so if if let's let's just go out on a limb here and assume that Jim Mora is not going to fix UConn football. If we're assuming that that's the best case scenario is that he makes it competent, what is the what is the realistic what is the what is the pessimistic rather uh thought here? What happens if this doesn't work because you you've told me that a drop to the FCS isn't likely because of the money lost, which I think is understandable and I, I think is kind of a a thing that we should stop assigning to schools and not, not we, as in this podcast, we won't, we, we would never do such a thing, but the general, we, um, because you lose a lot of money when you do that. And I don't think UConn is, is really considering that in any meaningful way. So what, if not this, what does, what does happen here? Because if, if this doesn't work, then it seems like they just hire another version of the same guy again. They've done it like four straight times now. Yeah, I, among UConn fans, it's a source of great consternation how uh, the, the quote-unquote national media keeps just kind of lazily suggesting that they should drop to FCS. Yeah. Because not only is that just kind of a bad idea for all FBS programs mm-hmm. because of the money loss involved, uh, for UConn, it's doubly so because, one, they are still paying rent at Wrenchwood Field, their home stadium. Mm-hmm. So... That just exacerbates the uh, ticket revenue loss if you drop to FB, F, FCS and all that jazz. Yeah. And also the uh, state is in hot water financially. And uh, as we know, pretty much everywhere, the state university is a place where those cuts get made. Yeah. And especially uh, in Connecticut, where college sports isn't quite as much of a powerhouse 
as other places. And people might get mad at me for saying that because econ uh, basketball is what it is, but it's not the economic powerhouse that football in a, in a power conference is sure. among uh, some of those schools. Sure. So in terms of where they go, if slash when Jim Moore does not succeed, you already know my answer. Do I? The triple option. Okay. Yeah, I do know your answer then, because that's that's the default answer that we have here on this show is that they should just hire a triple coach. And for UConn, uh, if we just talk about what the goals should be for Jim Moore, uh, two to four win season, just get back to the baseline. Mm-hmm. If UConn ran the triple option, they would get down their sleep. Yeah. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, even with how they recruit even with the limitations of the program based on where they're located. I think that uh, the triple option would even get them to a bowl game within a couple of years. Yeah. Um, that might be a little, a little bit of a loft deal, but I think that, I, th- and this is not a bit, this is my actual answer. Yep. Like I've been triple option pilled for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I think that UConn would uh, be kind of uniquely prepared to uh, take advantage of that scheme. Mm-hmm. As opposed to even places like Kansas, which was a very popular, or still is a very uh, popular suggestion for schools that should go to the triple option. Sure. Something with that that I'm, I'm curious about, because I know that this is true in a lot of like Midwestern states, uh, like where I'm from, Ohio, a lot of schools run the triple option. Is Connecticut high school football a largely triple option based uh, organization? Because it seems like that is the case in a lot of states around America. Yes, I would say that a a lot of a lot of high schools around Connecticut do run the triple option. The ones that don't Mm -hmm. are the, the, the larger schools like the Yeah, the larger schools like the New Britons, the Newington Highs. Sure. The Hartford Publics, they're they have better athletes, so they can run more advanced schemes. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the a lot of the smaller schools, a lot of the medium sized schools, do run the triple option. Which then I think plays into the idea that UConn running the triple would be good because suddenly you don't have to recruit against the other you know major schools in the Northeast. You can just recruit triple option guys, and they're there's more of them and they're a little bit easier to find and they're a little bit easier to get because a whole lot of schools aren't super interested in, you know, a, an extremely, an extremely prolific five ten quarterback who can't throw especially well, but runs the yeah. hell out of the option. Like it's, it's a, it is, it is a market inefficiency because it's not, it doesn't look quite right, but it works really well. Like consistently it works really well. And, and I, I think that that is you know, that conference affiliation or not, um, whatever the situation is, I think if you run the triple, you're going to, if nothing else, play competent football because it's really hard not to. You have five plays. You like, unless your coach is just a moron, you're, you're going to, you're going to be pretty good at it because you have five plays. It's just the variation on those five plays. Um, and you're a different, you're a, you're a change of pace for every single team on the schedule. It's, it is always, unless you're playing army, it is every single time you're like, oh, shoot, we have to go play UConn. They run the triple. I don't want to defend the triple. It's hard to do. It hurts my knees. 
Um, and it, it's just, it's a, it, it is, we, we, we talk about it a lot on this podcast as well. It, it's, it's not a bit, this is a very real, there's a reason that teams run it. There's a reason that the service, that the service academies run it. It works really well. It's a good system. Mm-hmm. And you look at what, uh, what teams like, well, you talked about getting those, uh, second tier recruits that might maybe are, are great football players just don't have the measurables that uh, other schools are looking for that don't run the triple. Uh, it's, that's what coastal sure uh, has done. It's what uh, Georgia Southern did until they uh, hired, speaking of free trade hires, mm-hmm. quite Helton. Speaking of country club year. hires. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. yes. It's like, that's a country club hire, except for if the country club you were a part of just absolutely hated your, your guts for doing it. Yeah. Hated the guy you hired guts for doing it, and will hate the football team as long as that person is employed. Yeah, it's a country club of two person, two people hired. <laughs> classic, the classic country club that we all know and love. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that that's, I think that, that, I think that's all spot on. I mean, Coastal Carolina is not one of the more pop, or one of the more talented teams in the Sun Belt, even now. You know, after after it had a really good season last year, it's it's among the lowest. Buffalo under Lance Leipold wasn't exactly running the triple, but it was the same ideology. Least talented team in the MAC almost won the MAC title last year. It's, it it works. <laughs> it's just it's it it seems, it seems simple. It seems like you can just you know, oh well, why didn't you just stack the why wouldn't you just stack the box? But it keeps working, and as long as it's gonna keep working, I think it remains a viable option for teams that just need to get some wins right now. And I think that if you know. Honestly, I think that the the national scheduling approach that they're taking where they're playing these big teams, if you're running the triple, maybe you can actually pull one of those off on on national television. Yeah. And people see it and they say, oh, well, look at what UConn is doing on offense. That's interesting. Instead of just, you know, in June you get a couple puff pieces from Yahoo and The Athletic and whatever else saying, well, look at what Jim Moore is cooking up. And then you get the 123rd class in the country and then you go one and 11 again it's it's just i don't know how many times and i I don't mean to be overly negative here because i i i I want to see good things happen at uconn i think that it's an interesting i think it's an interesting place and i think that it should be better than this but i don't know how many times they have to have this happen before they just go out and make the very obvious move of doing the thing that wins football games which is the triple who knows? Who knows? Who knows if it's ever going to happen? Yeah. To be honest, but um, I'll keep uh, keep fighting the good fight, and you can have me back on here in two years. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have we'll and, have uh, you along with uh, Jim Mora, who is unemployed at that time, and we're going to bring him on and ask him what went wrong. <laughs> he's going to be the third host, right? He- yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're down Ryan. He's been executed, as I said. So we'll get Jim Mora on. We'll get you on and. Um, we'll we'll go from there. We have Dion Sanders on. I know he's doing podcasts right now, so we'll have the big four. Sounds good to me. Yeah, let's Luke, book it. Luke, I don't have any more questions for you. I am going to give you the chance now to to plug anything that you want. Where can people find you? What should people see of you? Um, what what do you have to sell here? Uh, you can go follow me at Luke from two thousand and eleven. Uh, you can follow uh, the at the Yukon blog on Twitter. Uh, if you're a Yukon fan, go ahead and uh, follow us for uh, coverage. Basketball, women's and men's is starting up. Wink, wink. 
you don't want to read any more about football probably. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and follow us there. I uh, also listen to the Yukon pod on Apple and Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. I, I'm on there from time to time. Usually talk about Yukon football, uh, sometimes about Yukon baseball, which is uh, coming up in a couple months. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Luke, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.